Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty Podcast Network. And today, um, I'll introduce my guest momentarily, um, but today we're going to be talking about the Jerry Sandusky scandal, um, mostly. Um, my guest uh, has come into the, the fold of uh, publishing articles and doing investigative journalism, um, looking into this Jerry Sandusky scandal. Um, of course, if you've been following my podcast, Felony Friday, before this one, Finding Freedom, um, I've done a lot of interviews on this scandal, this fiasco. Um, I've interviewed John Ziegler several times, of course. I've interviewed um, Ralph Cipriano, I've interviewed Mark Pendergrass, I've interviewed Graham Spanier, I've interviewed uh, John Snedden. I'm probably leaving someone off, but we've talked a lot about this case. So if you're someone who's not familiar with this Jerry Sandusky scandal and how upside down and just strange it is, um, I will link to all of those episodes on the show notes page so you can go and uh, and check them out. Um, so if you're if you're new to it, hang on. You can listen to this whole episode and then listen to that later. You don't have to drop off. But uh, yeah. So and then one other note before I introduce my guest. If you like what we're doing here, of course, join the Lions of Liberty Pride. Support us on Patreon. Get bonus content, all that good stuff. So without further delay, let's bring in my guest today. And my guest is Frank Parlato. Frank is an investigative journalist, and his work has been cited hundreds of news out outlets, New York Times, Daily Mail, Vice, CBS, Fox, New York Post, goes on and on. Um, he's done some really pretty remarkable things. His work helped to expose and take down the Nexium cult. Um, also, his coverage of the group One Taste, um, starting in 2018, helped to spark an FBI investigation which led to indictments of two of its leaders in 2023. Frank, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a it's a pleasure to have you here. And as I was speaking with you a little bit before the show, it's a pleasure to have you um, on board exposing the injustice with this Jerry Sandusky case. Um Probably going to spend most of the show talking about your work on that. But before we get to that, um, just so my audience can know more about your background and get to know, you know, really what you're all about, what, what makes you tick. If you could 
You know, I, I went over high level, you know, your work with Nexium and your work with One Taste. But if you could, you know, give us a little more of a, uh, I don't know, a little insight into uh, what you did with those two uh, cases from an investigative journalist standpoint. Well, uh, you know, I think that what I learned from working on various cases is that it's repetition that works. You know, we look at advertising and I think it's been long known by Madison Avenue executives that it's repetition that actually produces results. And I think one of the issues that we have and one of the challenges we have with the Sandusky case, which we're going to solve, is that if you get a mainstream media story, for good or ill, it's goes nowhere without repetition. And and just to digress for a minute, with the Sandusky prosecution pre-trial, we had nothing but repetition and more repetition about how he was guilty. And what we need in Sandusky's case is we need to now counteract that intense repetition that we all heard that he's guilty. And and this was the reason I was successful with some of my campaigns uh, in Nexium and One Taste with uh, the Maid of the Mist, which I was able to end a monopoly. And uh, the result was a $330 million more for the public. And I think in this case, the Sandusky case is maybe one of the great travesties of justice that was played out in public in front of everybody with uh, Lincoln's uh, statement that you can fool all the people, you can't fool all the people all the time, mm-hmm. and some of the people you can fool all the time. This was a marvelous case of the media fooling almost all the people all the time, and now it's time to undo that. Yeah, and let's let's start to start to do that here today. So um, let's go back in our minds to 2012 when this whole thing erupted. And, you know, if there's people watching this, listening to this, who, you know, maybe think it's crazy that we're saying that there's another side to this Jerry Sandusky scandal. Um, and Jerry Sandusky is indeed innocent. Um, so let's, that's shocking to some people. Maybe they're hearing that for the first time right now. So, I'm going to encourage those those listeners, those watchers, to uh, to stick with us, and let's go back to to 2012. I remember during that time um, when the um, charges were announced, and there were you know riots in the in the street, uh, Penn State after Joe Paterno was fired. Um, mm-hmm. The the New York Times was coming out saying that Penn State was going to owe you know hundreds of millions of dollars or, or something like that. Um, to these um, so-called victims, and everything was stacked up to show that Jerry Sandusky was this monster. And then, as the wheels turned along, um, this conspiracy charge came about that Paterno and Graham Spanier, the president, and Gary Schultz, um, the uh, head of the finance department, and Tim Curley, the, the athletic director, were somehow involved in some grand cover-up to cover up Jerry Sandusky's crime. So, um, I, I'm just wondering. So just to kind of set the baseline here, from your perspective back then, do you remember 
when you first saw this case, what your thoughts were about it? I do remember very clearly. I, I didn't give it much thought. It was background noise. But in 2011 and late 2011 and 2012, it was a uh, prominent story, frequently reported with the complete assumption of guilt. And uh, I didn't give it much thought. I just assumed that all of these uh, reporters and everybody didn't get it all wrong. I was wrong. They did get it wrong. Yeah, I, I was wrong too, because I thought when, when that was happening, I thought he was 100% guilty. Um, but it didn't, it didn't make sense to me at the time, right? It didn't make sense to me when the, this cover, these cover-up accusations were coming up. Why, why would anyone cover up this type of behavior? And it turns out it didn't make sense because they weren't covering up this type of behavior because that type of behavior wasn't even happening. Um, and we'll, we'll get into some of that. But let's fast forward. When did you first start to get a hint that, you know, something was off with this case and it's, it's not what it seems? Well, I didn't give it another thought since he was convicted. Not one thought. Um probably never gave Sandusky even a second uh, thought about being innocent or guilty. I just forgot about him. And then one day, one of my writers uh, wrote a story on an unrelated matter. It had to do with a story in Connecticut. And they made a comparison to this uh, official in Connecticut ignoring some kind of victimization and made the Paterno-Sandusky comparison. I thought nothing of it. Man was convicted. I published my reporter's story. And within 24 hours, I've got a email from Dr. Frederick Cruz. Are, are you familiar with him? Um, I don't think I am. No. He's probably the other name you might have wanted to mention along with Ziegler and Cipriano mm -hmm. and uh, John Snedden and Mark Pendergrass. Uh, Frederick Cruz has been interested in the Sandusky case, he's the uh, uh, former head of the English department of the University of Berkeley, mm. University in California, and um, best-selling author. His Random House Book of Style has sold over a million copies, so he knows the language. And he also has the common sense and the wisdom to see through the falsities, and I believe it was Mark Pendergrass's book that persuaded him that uh, Sandusky is innocent. And he sent me an email within 24 hours of the publication of my story uh, written by one of my reporters. And he said, um, and I quote, the truth about Jerry Sandusky is exactly the opposite of what the public believes. And he sent a link to one of his stories. It was about Graham Spanier, and I believe the story was called, and you can guess what it was about because you know the case. It was called A Shower of Lies. Mm -hmm. and I read his finely written essay, and I was uh, somewhat astounded to see that there was way more to the Sandusky story, and that's what started me. That was in October of 2023. It took me a couple months to study the case, and then I began to write about it. 
you, you moved pretty quickly then. That was that was only the beginning of last fall, and uh, the amount of content that you're producing around this case is, is pretty remarkable. And I guess that goes back to the repetition, um, continuing to to report on this case and get more articles out there. Is that is that the idea? Yes, uh, repetition is what we need because people don't want to get it. People are not capable of getting it just because someone says so. They've got to see it from different angles. And what's happening now is more and more people are reading these articles. I'm corresponding with people all over the country and uh, in some cases in Europe and in other uh, continents who are surprised and are learning about this case. I think it's a textbook case of how the legal system can go awry. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's an interesting um, interesting phenomenon um, trying to convince people that Jerry Sandusky is indeed innocent and none of these abuses happened. And, and I say that because um, what I found from my own personal experience, not podcasting, but talking face-to-face with another human being about this case can be a little bit difficult just because it's so incredibly complicated and everything in the, in the case is upside down and people's incentives don't make much sense at first glance. When you start to dig deeper, um, I, I think they do make perfect sense. But um, just, in fact, a week ago, 10 days ago, uh, my wife and I were down in the Dominican Republic and... Uh, we have a, a couple that we're friends with that we were spending a lot of time with speaking with um, the, the wife went to Penn state and I, I didn't even, I, I didn't bring it up. Um, she actually brought up something joking about, um, Oh, you know, they can't put the Joe Paterno statue back up because, and I said, well, you know, you know, none of that's true. Um, you know, Joe Paterno didn't cover anything up because nothing happened. And it was funny. And these are good people. Um, they might be listening to this now, but the uh, the husband goes, well, you got to be careful saying that. You know, somebody could be hiding behind a bush and hear you say that and you know, cancel you. But um, I, I had to build up like a certain level of trust, though, to be able to even, you know, put this forward. Um, you know, I, I really I don't go up to strangers on the street telling them Jerry Sandusky is innocent. Um, there needs to be a, a level of trust and a level of uh, authenticity <clears throat> that people can kind of relate to. So is that an aspect of it as well? building that trust up with a library of, of work? Well, I think that's part of it. And we're, we're, we're trying to crack a code here, you and I both in our own way. How do we explain it in installments, starting with a simple version of why you should even listen to me for another two minutes? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you were talking to your friends there and one of them or both of them went to Penn State. How do you... How do you get them to consider the truth? Well, I'll tell it's you. Always a I'll tell you what. Th- this is the line that that works for me to get people to just really they don't even say anything. They're just totally shocked. Is when you tell them that Jerry Sandusky had incredibly low testosterone levels based on his own um, medical reports that were not <laughs> even talked about at the trial, and also Jerry Sandusky virtually did not have any testicles. Um, which is also in his medical reports, which were uncovered by uh, Ralph Cipriano and John Ziegler in 
that was going to be talked about in a Newsweek article that that never never occurred. <laughs> um, when you start yeah. to when you say that, people are like, "Well, what are you talking about?" I'm like, "Oh yeah," and none of his accusers mentioned that fact that he had no balls. When you mention that, it's like, okay, "Okay, now now I'm listening. Now I'm listening." Well, that's a good introduction. I, I've thought of different ways to start off. One of the ways was that every single person who testified at the trial had a civil lawyer in advance of the trial, mm. and every one of them collected, and it was eight of them, uh, more than $1 million, one fantastic liar by the name of Sebastian Payton. He collected $20 million, and, and I think that that's an interesting tidbit. Another interesting tidbit is that um, most of the accusers didn't say that Jerry abused them when they were first interviewed, and many of them underwent um, therapy for recovered memories. And the rest of the world knows that that's a discredited bit of quack science. They didn't know it in Pennsylvania, but they know it everywhere else. It's it's in maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that repressed memory theory is not supposed to be admissible in court. Is it? You are correct. You you could challenge it, and the Jerry's attorney failed to uh, challenge it with what's called a fry hearing. You can challenge uh, the testimony of so-called scientific um, testimony based on there's not a consensus in the scientific community that it's valid. This is well-known law. Unfortunately, Jerry Sandusky's attorney didn't know much of the law. Mm -hmm. um, the, other, the other one that is good to bring up, I think, is with the shower incident, because people, you know, the, the next question you'll get after you start to poke a hole is they'll say, oh, well, what was Mike McQuarrie? Line, if they even know his name, they'll say, was, was that Penn State coach lying? Not even knowing he wasn't a Penn State coach. He was a graduate assistant at the time. And, uh, you know, a very integral part of Mike, Mike McQuarrie's motivations for even going to Joe Paterno um, had to do with the fact that there had just become a wide receiver coach spot that had opened right around that time. And it's likely that um, Mike was looking for an excuse to get some FaceTime with Joe um, right, right then. Um, and, and that's not even getting into um, the, the dates of the shower incident, which they got wrong in the initial, um, the initial grand jury report. Sandusky notified them that they were wrong. And then John Ziegler is the one who uncovered that that date also was incorrect. And it was actually further back in time, which means that uh, Mike McCreary waited even longer to so-called report or at least speak to, uh, to Joe Paterno. And I think an important um, thing to underline there is Mike McCreary didn't even get that wide receiver coaching job at that point in time. So some cover up that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but he did get $9.7 million from Penn State. Yeah. So uh, I I would agree with you. The the shower story is what got the greatest amount of media publicity. It launched a whole media mania, 
And it was false. There was no abuse of a boy in the shower. Yeah, and the boy in the shower, for those that don't know, Alan Myers is his name. And right after Jerry was charged, he wrote um, a letter uh, defending Jerry Sandusky, um, saying that um, he's, he's a good man. This this isn't true. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't identified. He wasn't at the trial. He did not testify at the trial. At the time, the uh, prosecutor said that uh, this victim, the shower victim, victim m- number two, was only known to God, which was a lie. The prosecution mm-hmm. knew about him. The defense knew about him because he'd gone and he'd spoken to um, Jerry Sandusky's lawyer um, when uh, when these charges came down. Um, so w- what do you make of it and what do you know about Alan Myers? Well, um, Alan Myers had the... Um, Bad fortune, I'll say, of having an attorney by the name of Andrew Shubin represent him. And while it is true that Myers collected almost $7 million for uh, disappearing during the trial, um, he betrayed a friend of his and essentially was willing to let his friend, a man who had done a lot for him, Jerry Sandusky, um, fall to life imprisonment because he got tempted by Shubin's promise of money. And um, so he's kind of a kind, in my opinion, Myers is a kind of a tragic figure, a coward, a, a knave, a man who had the chance, who started off brave. He stood up and said, no, Jerry didn't abuse me. He was there at my wedding. I introduced him like my father at, events. Um, I brought my kids to him. I went with Jerry to see his mother at at her um, final viewing. And then money came. He, he, He got the taste, the thought of money, met this rascal shyster by the name of Shubin, an attorney. Mm -hmm. And he he couldn't bring himself to lying in the court about Jerry abusing him in the shower. So he he compromised his soul and he hid out during the trial. He hid during the trial so that Jerry couldn't call him to defend the shower scene for the innocent event that it actually was. You know, with something like that, with Alan Myers doing that, coming out initially, supporting his friend, supporting his mentor, someone he looked to as a father figure, Jerry Sandusky. Um, how much do you think that has to eat away at him? What he did? Well, I hear he's fall down drunk these days, just a fall down drunk. I hear that he's a drunk. And I think it eats away at everybody. People say, oh, you know, The small voice of conscience will never haunt me. I will steal and rob and kill, and I'll never repent. But I don't know how long you can do that if you got a spark of decency. I think think it eats away at the And as you look at what these guys are doing, and I've been watching these accusers, um, a lot of their lives have fallen to pieces. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw a uh, a recent article that you put out. Accuser number one, Aaron Fisher, um, was recently stabbed in a knife fight in the Jersey Shore. What happened there? Right, I have photos of that now. Photos of his his lying on the ground. Um, you know, it was an interesting thing because he's apparently blown through his seven and a half million dollars. His mother's poor mother or bad mother, whatever it is, she doesn't even have a car anymore. They bought all these fancy cars. She has to beg her friends to give her a lift. So $7.5 million to betray your friend, but where is it now? Yeah, it's... uh. It's crazy when you start digging digging into the individual lives of all of these accusers. Um, and another one that you've that you've written about quite a bit is Matt Sandusky, and mm. that's another one that people point to when they say, "Well, his his own son, his own son turned against him during the trial." And it's easy to say that if you know nothing about Matt Sandusky. Matt Sandusky wasn't Jerry and Dottie's. Um, biological son they can't have children because jerry doesn't you know probably is not able to have children um and they adopted matt sandusky when he was 18 years old um from what i understand he you know basically begged them uh to adopt him at that at that time so well that's true because he got a 75 percent discount uh to go to penn state because he was jerry's adopted kid mm -hmm. otherwise he would have had to pay more uh, but it was Jerry, in a way, it was Jerry's fault because Jerry encouraged this fool to go to college. Jerry encouraged him to live a clean life. Jerry pushed him to study, and he made deals with this kid, this 18-year-old kid, Matt Sandusky. You go to college, and you stay on the straight and narrow, and I'll pay for it. I'll help you. You live in my house, and I will guide you and help you. And this rat turned on his friend and, and, and bit him. Yeah, that's exactly what he did. As soon as he saw that the gravy train was, uh, was going to be gone um, and Jerry was going to be convicted, he, he flipped right then and there. Um, if anyone has any doubt and, and they think Matt, Sand Matt Sandusky is a, you know, a decent person, watch his interview he did with Oprah. I don't know if, if you've watched that. Um, anybody who has any sense of people and detecting liars, you watch Matt Sandusky talk there. I don't know how anyone can have any respect for that guy. That's a good point. Oprah should know better. You know, after all, she's a world figure, but she was a gullible reporter that day. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, so, I did hear your interview you did with with uh, John Ziegler uh, several weeks ago, whenever that was, which was very good. Um, John, of course, is not optimistic at all about Jerry becoming uh, and being exonerated. Um, it sounds like doesn't sound like you are. You're coming. You're you're you know talking about you know breaking this down. I think you said earlier this interview that we are going to you know break this wall down and exonerate Jerry Sandusky. So. Um, how, how do we go about doing that? And like in the eyes of the court system, how can that happen? Is that, is that going to be a, you know, internal Pennsylvania court that does it, or does this have to go 
um, outside of Pennsylvania? Well, I'll tell you really where it's at. First, to speak about Ziegler. Uh, Ziegler is an amazing character. And without Ziegler, we probably wouldn't be here now. And I, mean, I, 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 know I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, I, yeah. I've learned everything He's I know the, about the case yeah. from him pretty much. He's the guy when no one else in the world dared to. You need a maniac like him. Uh, he was willing to shout to everybody that when he figured out Sandusky was innocent, he didn't give a damn about what anybody thought. He didn't care if he was canceled. He didn't care if he was hated. He was an incredible figure in this case, and this case which is historic and will be remembered for a long time. Um, without him, nothing happened. Nothing would have happened. He figured it out first, and he was relentless. My God, what an advocate he could be. Um, he may not be the most diplomatic person in the world. And so uh, nice he did the hard work, and now we need a little bit of diplomacy, too. Got to balance it. Um, you have Mark Pendergrass did this incredible forensic review, and he, 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 we have to credit him for being able to put it together almost like a forensic masterpiece. And then you had the very hard-hitting, in-your-face, excellent writer, Ralph Cipriano, and joined by John Snedden, you know John, mm -hmm. right? The uh, federal investigator that looked into this case and knew it was bull. Um, so now we're at the point you ask the question, can we win? The answer is we will win. We must win, not just for the sake of Jerry Sandusky, but for the sake of American justice. We believe in liberty. We cannot sit idle with a man that we all know by a little bit of study was, did not get a fair trial. A little more study will show you that he's innocent. A little more study will show that the people that accused him were deliberate liars. So we have one more issue now. Will the judiciary of Pennsylvania ever admit they're wrong? The answer is the judiciary will never admit they're wrong unless they have to. And the only way they'll have to is when the public pressure becomes so great. There's no such thing as justice. It's all personal interest. <clears throat> the Pennsylvania judiciary will not be concerned with justice, but they will be concerned with their reputation. Right now, if they were to admit what is true, that Jerry did not get a fair, fair trial, they will be uh, worried about their reputation. However, the day will come, and it's coming fast, when their reputation will be more damaged by not taking action and freeing mm -hmm. this man and they're going to have to find some fall guys. Among those fall guys is the judge, Cleland. Among those fall guys are the prosecutors, Fina, Eshba, and uh, Lion, Joe McGettigan. And the fall guys are the therapists. And, of course, the liars, the little liars, the, the so-called boys who were all men when they testified. And those are the fall guys, and they're going to take a fall. It may wind up being an FBI conspiracy 
racketeering investigation when it's done, because this is an ongoing racketeering enterprise and people may wind up in prison, not Sandusky. They'll trade places with Sandusky. Do you think there's any way, and I just thought of this now, so I haven't thought this through. This might be a stupid thing to say. Um, I'm a Penn State alumni, so I'm saying this as a Penn State alumni, but is there any way this takes Penn State down with how they have enabled a lot of this in a weird way with this incentive to pay off these victims so the story just kind of goes away? Yeah, it it never goes away. Uh, It'll never go away. I think Penn State's in much more jeopardy now than they were when they first supported the lies. And I think that there'll be a boycott of Penn State. I think there'll be enrollment drops. I think ultimately when history uh, corrects itself, Penn State and some of the trustees, John Sherma and Ira Luber and some of the others who, uh, they they didn't give a fig about truth or justice. Um, Sherma had a... um, former CEO of U.S. Steel, he had a vendetta against uh, uh, Joe Paterno. You know that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and then there was Ira Lubar. He's a, he's a character. He's the guy that wants to bring gambling to Penn State students. And this guy, I don't think, ever saw anything but dollar signs in his, um, his small imagination. He, he didn't care about victims or innocence or guilt. All he wanted to do was curry favor with certain lawyers who were representing uh, some of these accusers. And for Luber, and I can prove this, it was always more about who the lawyer was than um, what the claims were. He didn't care about the claims. He must have known the claims were fictitious. Can can you expand on that? So you're saying that... He, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll just let you expand on that. You said that he cared about who the lawyers were. Right, right. If you look at the way these things were settled, and there's a bizarre disparity. I don't know if, I haven't published it yet, but I have a list of what every single person got Mm. uh, who made a settlement with Penn State. And um, besides the eight liars at the trial, there was a couple dozen more, you know that, right, who came after yeah. the fact and created fa- various fantastic stories. And they all broke down into, uh, we see the settlements, there were certain attorneys that were favored. And that's because Luber wanted a, uh, to strengthen his relationship with certain lawyers mm. who could do him a lot of good in his various real estate and um, other enterprises. And, you know, lawyers have a big hand at picking judges and lawyers lobby and lawyers contribute to political campaigns. And it wasn't his money. He was able to give away a hundred million dollars. He was the head of the committee for settlement, a very foolish move because they vetted no one. And Lubert, uh, and I'm happy to challenge him. Maybe he'll like to come on your show and debate me on this. That would be um, great. You could invite him and tell him I'm happy to challenge him on this assertion I make right now, which was he was more interested in who the lawyer was for the 
so-called victim than he was as to what their claims were. And I'll take it a step further. He gave signals to some of these lawyers as to how to modify and manipulate their claims to maximize their dollars. Can you go a step further and tell me what what was the signal and what were the modifications to to maximize? Well, the big modification was post McQuarrie. If you had an allegation as a so-called victim that you were um, that you were abused before McQuarrie, uh, just lie lie piled on lies. But McQuarrie had a date; it started at two. 2002, as you pointed out, then they moved it back to March, I believe, or of uh, 2001, or maybe it was February. Yeah, it, started, it started after 9-11, and then they moved it back before 9-11, which would be 2001, yeah. And then, uh, then it moved, Ziegler got it right. Ziegler pegged it at 2000, the year, the, the month of December, I think 29, 2000, that's the probable only date that Jerry Sandusky would have been there at the locker room, the Lash uh, building, doing nothing wrong, by the way. And so uh, the signal was to the lawyers, uh, if, you, if you say that the abuse happened after 2001, the official date of the shower incident, you can make more money because... Paterno knew, the, the uh, university knew they should have, um, they should have uh, done something and they didn't. The liability is greater. Before 2001, how would they know? So liability is greater. We'll pay you more. But it, what I found astonishing was Luber agreed to pay at least two men who were beyond the statute of limitations. They couldn't have collected money in any court in the land. Mm -hmm. One of them was Matt Sandusky, uh, who collected $325,000 in a claim that couldn't be pursued because of statute of limitations. And the other was a guy, I think his name was Tice, who claimed that this occurred in the 1970s. And he claimed that Sandusky raped him at a urinal and that he was a contortionist who was able to turn himself around, twist his body, headbutt Sandusky, knock his teeth out, things that never happened. And then he had a conference call with Joe Paterno and an administrator in the 70s before there were conference calls. <laughs> and he got paid $200,000. Uh, yeah, that, that's one that got leaked out. Um, I guess when Penn State's insurance company what was the dispute between Penn State and their insurance company at the time that was that was paying these these out? I'm trying to remember. Well, yeah, there's rules about paying. There, uh, Luber persuaded everyone, the trustees, that hey, we're giving away this money. What's the difference? The insurance company's going to reimburse us. I think he thought the reimbursement would be fifty percent. So mm -hmm. it's really not costing us a hundred million. It's only costing us 50 million. That's just a drop in the bucket for a big billion dollar university to save its, its reputation. But the, but the, uh, the insurance company has some rules and there were some contracts between Penn State and the 
um, the university is called insurance contract where you just don't pay anybody anything for anything they say. You have some obligations to vet things. And it was clear that Penn State didn't vet anything. They were just handing out the money. And so the insurance company and Penn State got into litigation. And I believe that it ultimately settled where the insurance company did not pay half reimbursement, but they paid 25% reimbursement. I think that's how it ultimately settled. Mm -hmm. And so it cost Penn State an additional, I don't know what, $30 million extra for their lack of vetting these things. Absolutely insane. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on Scott Paterno? And re really, I guess it's more than Scott Paterno. So Scott Paterno, you know, I think a lot of people don't know, but really Scott Paterno was very key in turning this narrative, um, creating this narrative that Jerry Sandusky is the monster. Let's everyone look at Jerry Sandusky when he when he he wrote the statement that Joe Paterno released saying with the benefit of hindsight, I wish I'd done more, which essentially said, Jerry's guilty. I knew about it, which wasn't real because it, it couldn't be real because it didn't happen. Um, Scott is not very likely to, uh, to backtrack on that. Um, I don't think there's any chance he will until it runs him over, which, which I, if, if I'm to uh, agree with you, which I'm hopeful um, that you're right, then it will run him over. Um, but along with Scott, there's a huge group of Penn State alumni um, who are on this side of things where they think that Jerry's guilty, but Joe's innocent and did not knew nothing about it. They want Joe's statue back up, but they're unwilling to even question, um, you know, if it, to question Jerry Sandusky's guilt in any capacity. That's not something they want to touch. So is is that an a uh, uh, you know? an element that, that you've been exposed to? Have you talked to people on that side of the, the scandal? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's lamentable because um, Joe Paterno is or was a great man. He is a national treasure. He should be accorded a place in the history books for his, his bold uh, way of keeping uh, integrity in the collegiate world of uh, athleticism. And, um, you know, Paterno got caught up, caught up in this in the very, very last couple months of his life. Uh, my understanding was he didn't know how sick he was until this hit him. Maybe it exacerbated his, mm -hmm. his demise. Probably it did. He was a man who had uh, integrity and his uh, son, Scott, um, was more interested in balancing the spin and counterspin than finding out the truth. And the truth would be much more um, beneficial to the legacy and the teachings of this good man, Paterno, which is that Paterno is innocent because Sandusky is innocent. There was no shower in this incident. There was nothing to cover up, everybody acted precisely, correctly. Paterno, Schultz, Spanier, and Curley, they acted appropriately. And that's what Paterno should have said, Scott Paterno, mm -hmm. 
Uh, instead, he, he, he spun this thing thinking he could um, extricate his dad's legacy from the media onslaught. Had he stood for the truth, he would have been a braver man, but he, um, he acted according to his comprehension. Yeah, and I, I think that that is a part of the key of getting this thing overturned is those Penn Staters that they want Joe Pa to be recognized. They want, you know, the stadium or the field named after when they want the statue back up. Um, they need to understand that that's never going to happen unless you uncover the whole truth of the case. Um, and once they come to understand that and we can get them on board, I, I think that would go I would go a long way to uh, making some progress there. It's one way. I, I think that Penn State's in for some bad times now. As, as this thing spreads, and it will spread, it's a, it's a, it, it's a fire right now. It's going to grow into a, a burning fire. Uh, he, uh, Sandusky's innocent, and that can be shown. And um, what's going to happen is Penn State's going to get the brunt of it. And I think you're going to see people – uh, fall away, look for other uh, colleges and universities to attend because uh, we want our, our young people to go to institutes of higher learning. And higher learning would not tolerate uh, a conspiracy to allow a good man to be imprisoned for the reputation of an institution. That's not higher learning. Penn State is an institute of lower learning, and I think donations are going to fall off. I think enrollment's going to fall off. As this thing spreads, there will be a lot of burned uh, bushes and trees and, um, and burned fingers. I think Penn State's in for some very bad times in the next 12 months. So you had mentioned how you, um, and we're almost out of time here. Um, I'm going to wrap this, wrap this up here shortly. But um, you had mentioned how you first came to, to question uh, this case, had someone reach out um, from one of your articles. H have you had similar things happen to you with your articles now, people reaching out to you who, who have learned the truth through reading mm -hmm. your work? Yes, uh, it's now in the thousands. People are changing their uh, opinions. So we're, you know, we're, we're doing, we're, we're experimenting uh, how to tell this story simply and honestly and intelligently, and uh, then we're going to bring it everywhere. We're going to shout it on the rooftops. We're going to put it in every newspaper. We'll put it on billboards. We're going to mm -hmm. prove his innocence before it's too late. He's 80 years old. He spent 11 years in prison, and um, there's a lot of villains here that are going to come to the bar of justice. Well, I hope you are rank, You are right, Frank Parlato. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to talk with you today and probably do it again down the road because there's always more to uh, talk about and dig into it. But before I let you go, if you could give uh, some plugs um, for where you're publishing all of this work at the Frank Report and uh, anything else that you're working on. Well, I want to just say very briefly, you know, you studied this case any intelligent person who studies this case will find out the, the flaws in it. Mm -hmm. And so I urge people, I challenge people to study it. 
Uh, they can do that by uh, my website, frankreport.com. That's frankreport.com. I publish in other uh, publications as well, but start at frankreport.com. Uh, or buy Mark Pendergrass's book, The Most Hated Man in America, for a good overview. <clears throat> and uh, we're just beginning now. So that's where I'd like to leave it is uh, come and learn the truth. And another great resource I have to mention is John Ziegler's podcast, With the Benefit of Hindsight. It's like 17 episodes, and I don't think there's been anyone who's listened to all that entire podcast and hasn't um, been a staunch uh, supporter of the truth after that. So, um, If we could get people in the law schools to study Ziegler's podcast, mm -hmm. it would revolutionize the law. Yeah, indeed. Frank Perlato, thank you so much for the work you're doing, and thanks for coming on the show. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. All right, that wraps today's show, my interview with Frank Parlato. As I said at the top of the show, um, I will be sure to link to on the show notes page for this episode to every interview I've done about this Jerry Sandusky case. Um, in fact, I should probably create its own page where everything is just there and people can just go and, and find everything. I used to have that in the past, but we changed website platforms and it, it disappeared. So I will do that again and uh, get that up and let you know where to find it. Um, but thanks for listening. And um, like I said, if you are someone who, if this is the first time you've heard about anyone questioning, you know, Jerry Sandusky's uh, guilt, please do the research just as um, Frank said before. I mean, you can learn about it yourself. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to listen to Frank. You don't have to listen to John Ziegler. You can learn about this case yourself. All the information is out there in a plethora of places. So I will see everyone next week with another great episode. In the meantime, always remember to keep your head up in the fires of liberty. Burn in. Burn in.